Amen. Good to uh, good to hear voices singing, and uh, we're going to do more of that. We usually sing one song after the message. We're singing a couple after the message today, and so look forward to a little more singing. Uh, I can look back on 2023. Um, I can look back on that from the perspective of a husband and a dad looking up close and personal at God's abundant grace towards our family, uh, and I'm thankful for that. Uh, I can look back uh, in the life of the church. I get kind of a special close-up perspective a lot of times as a pastor and get to see God's abundant grace to this church in many ways over the year 2023, and I'm really, really grateful. And so as we gather today on the last day of 2023, we might be rightly wondering a little bit of what will 2024 look like. I mean, a year from now, what will be happening in the Middle East? Who will our next president be? Will we add on to our church building? Who's going to get married? Who's going to have a baby? Who's going to move? Who's going to get saved? Who's going to get sick? Who's going to die? What, like all kinds of questions we have, all sorts of things. We just really don't know about the year that starts tomorrow. But today, what we're going to do is we're going to consider three big questions as we prepare to walk into a new year. The three questions are this. One, where is our confidence? Two, what is our message? And three, why must we sing? And we're going to consider these questions by turning to the last book of the Bible here on the last day of the year. It is a fascinating book. For some of you, it is very intriguing. For others of you, very intimidating. It is the book of Revelation. I hope sometime in the relatively near future to do a series where we walk through the entire book of Revelation. It's hard. It's hard to just jump into it for one week. If you've done it in just your own devotional Bible reading, uh, you, you recognize pretty quickly this sounds different than a lot of the rest of the Bible. It is what's called apocalyptic literature, which is really, in a sense, an unveiling of mysteries that were previously unseen. So the book of Revelation in particular, filled with Old Testament references, and often in apocalyptic literature, there's going to be all kinds of symbols and images, things used to try to put into words things that are hard to put into words. And so Revelation sounds different than many other spots in the Bible. Like other books of the Bible, though, we need to recognize that, that while the book of Revelation was written for us, it wasn't originally written to us. There is a historical context to the book. It is written as the vision that the Lord gave to the apostle named John while he was in exile on Patmos in the first century, and it was to be then given initially to churches, those who are believers, who were suffering under intensifying persecution there in the first century. But at its core, it is a book that is a revelation or a revealing of the person of Jesus. If you look back to the very first words of Revelation, the first five words are this, the revelation of Jesus Christ. What is primarily being revealed in the book of Revelation is the person of Jesus. We get to see more of Jesus while we study this book. So, like I said, sometime I hope we're going to get a chance to, on a Sunday morning, 
work our way through over a course of Sundays uh, the whole book of Revelation. I have preached before on basically part one of this vision. Uh, of Revelation chapter 4, that's basically part one of this vision. And Revelation 5 is kind of part two. What we're going to see is the Apostle John uh, being able to get a glimpse into what is happening around the throne of God in heaven. That's what we see in chapters 4 and 5. And so um, it, it's, it's big. What we're about to look at, this is, this is not some like, well, this is a yawner. Uh, maybe my sermon will be. I hope not. But this passage certainly is not. And I feel uh, more so than with many other passages that I preach, inadequate and unworthy and incapable of being able to rightly help us see what God intends for us to see in this passage. So, uh, as much as with any other sermon, we are dependent on the work of the Holy Spirit to help us see what God wants us to see. So if you're able to, would you stand? I'm going to pray that God would do that, and then we're going to hear the very Word of God. So Father, we do pray now that you would open our eyes to see wonderful things in your Word. By it, through the power of your Holy Spirit working through your word, would you today change how we think, change what we think about? Would you change our hearts and our desires? Would you change even the way we live for your glory and for the good of not just us, but the world around us? Give us this kind of vision of who you are and how we ought to respond. In Jesus' name, amen. God's word, Revelation 5, says this. Then I saw in the right hand of him who was seated on the throne a scroll written within and on the back, sealed with seven seals. And I saw a mighty angel proclaiming with a loud voice, who is worthy to open the scroll and break its seals? And no one in heaven or on earth or under the earth was able to open the scroll or to look into it. And I began to weep loudly because no one was found worthy to open the scroll or to look into it. And one of the elders said to me, Weep no more. Behold. The lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has conquered, so that he can open the scroll and its seven seals. And between the throne and the four living creatures, and among the elders, I saw a lamb standing, as though it had been slain, with seven horns and with seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent out into all the earth. And he went and took the scroll from the right hand of him who was seated on the throne. And when he had taken the scroll, the four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the lamb, each holding a harp and golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. And they sang a new song, saying, Worthy are you to take the scroll and to open its seals. For you were slain, and by your blood you ransomed people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation, and you have made them a kingdom 
and priests to our God, and they shall reign on the earth. Then I looked, and I heard around the throne and the living creatures and the elders the voice of many angels, numbering myriads of myriads and thousands of thousands, saying with a loud voice, Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. And I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and in the sea and all that is in them saying, To him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb, be blessing and honor and glory and might forever and ever. And the four living creatures said, Amen. And the elders fell down and worshipped. Amen. You can be seated. There in your bulletin is a sermon outline, and you'll see there the first point is this. Is anyone worthy to open the scroll? This is a vision again that the Lord is giving to John, and this particular part is a vision of what is happening in the heavens. He's told to write down this vision, and I love the way that chapter 5 gives us uh, just a sense of the drama and the emotion, what it was that John was feeling even as he was seeing and then writing down this vision. He's given this vision of what's happening in heaven, and, and you'll note a number of things repeated here, and this is really continued from chapter 4. The thing that we're going to see repeated, not just in these chapters, but throughout many ways, the book of Revelation, is the throne. The throne is at the center of things, and the one who is on the throne is the holy, holy, holy Lord God Almighty. It is God the Father who is seated on the throne, and another key part in the passage we're looking at today is a scroll. You notice that even as I read through it. But what is on this scroll? We're told in verse 1, After we're told of the one who is seated on the throne, it's he that has the scroll. And it says the scroll is written within. That would be normal for a scroll to have writing on the inside of it. Here's what would be abnormal. And on the back. Okay, Normally, it wasn't two-sided. But but here we have this picture of a scroll so filled with things that it's written not just on one side, but on both sides. It is sealed then with seven seals. There's lots of theories what is on this scroll, lots of theories over time, uh, but the one that seems in context the most likely is simply this. The scroll contains the complete plan of God for all of time into eternity. That's why he wants to see it. All of human history planned out. We see in this scroll, if we were to open up, we would see the plan God has for the judgment of all things, for the salvation of some people, for eternity, everything completely planned out. Scrolls, typically, again, containing writing on one side, but this one is complete. This is the complete plan of God for all of human history. Written on a scroll is what it seems here. And this scroll is sealed with seven seals. And then, just maybe a quick note, a pause. (laughs) This is good news, uh, and we need to recognize it, that we have a God, the God who is on the throne in the heavens, is a God who has a plan for all of human history, for all of time and eternity. 
our God as we look into 2024 and have really no idea what is coming. That is not how God on the throne looks into 2024, right? He, he knows every detail, has it completely planned out, and this is good news for us, and it was good news for John while he's in exile on Patmos. God has a plan. It's written on a scroll. What does it say? That's what he wants to know. That's what we want to know. Who's going to open up the seals? And that's where the drama really comes in in verses 2 and 3. Did you hear this? Listen to this. And I saw a mighty angel proclaiming with a loud voice, Who is worthy to open the scroll and break its seal? And here's the challenge. No one in heaven or on earth or under the earth was able to open the scroll or to look into it. So you imagine John there on the island of Patmos in exile. All of his friends have been executed. He believes with all of his heart that Jesus is the Christ. He is the Messiah. He is the resurrected Lord. But all around him, everyone is dying and things look bleak. And he's told that God has a plan and there's a scroll and it's written and he wants to see what's there. But nobody's found worthy to open it. And then look at verse 4. So we understand that this is his response. And I began to weep loudly because no one was found worthy to open the scroll or to look into it. So the big question, the big problem in verses 1 to 4 is, the good news is there's a scroll. The challenge is, it seems there's no one able to or worthy to open it. Is anyone worthy is the question in verses 1 to 4. But some tension in the drama gets resolved in verse 5. In verse 5, it says, And one of the elders said to me, Weep no more. Behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has conquered so that he can open the scroll and its seven seals. There is one. Good news. There is one. Though, though he has looked through the heavens, not Moses, not Abraham, not anybody on the earth or under the earth, nobody can open it, but there is one. And it is one who is known as the Lion of the tribe of Judah. That's referring back to a prophecy in Genesis chapter 49, verses, I wrote it down here, 9 and 10. One who is the root of David. That's referring back to Isaiah 11, 1 through 9. So, so these hopes that God's people had had of, of the lion of the tribe of Judah, of the root of David, are fulfilled in Jesus, the one who has conquered. That's the other thing here. It says the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has conquered. It is Jesus, the one who has been put to death and buried, but now raised from the dead. He is the one who is able and worthy to take the scroll and to open it. That's what we see in verse 5. Let's continue with verse 6. Just the beginning of it says this. And between the throne. So, so, so imagine what John is ready to see. Wait, there is one. It's the lion of the tribe of, da uh, of Judah. 
the, the root of David, the one who was conquered. So he's expecting, I think, probably at this point, to see Jesus in his resurrection power and glory like a lion coming to take the scroll. But what does he see in verse 6? And between the throne and the four living creatures and among the elders, I saw a lamb standing as though it had been slain. At first we might wonder, or John might even, where's the lion? What's this, what's this lamb? But then he might remember and we might remember all that Scripture has to say about lambs, maybe remembering the Passover and remembering that Jesus is the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world and he sees this lamb who had been slain now standing, pointing to both the death and the resurrection of Jesus. The lamb, as though it had been slain, now standing, and God on the throne, Jesus the lamb, standing between the four living creatures, elders, and the throne. And then we continue in verse 6. We've seen Father, we've seen Son, now we're going to see Holy Spirit, with seven horns and with seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent out into all the earth. Now, again, we haven't been in Revelation, so we've got to get our bearings just a little bit. You're going to recognize if you read the book of Revelation, there's a lot of numbers. And the numbers, uh, seven, is this kind of number of completeness. And so when he talks about seven horns, horns are a symbol of power. There's complete power. There's complete vision. Seven eyes, right? So, so he sees all things. He has all power. And, and we're not really thinking literally of like God having seven spirits. We're thinking of the, the perfect, the complete Holy Spirit, the God himself. So we see really the Trinity, I think, all of them here in verses 6 and 7, or in verse 6 even. Verse 7 continues, and he, this is the lamb who was slain, now standing, this is Jesus, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, the one who was conquered, he is now, in verse 7, he went and he took the scroll from the right hand of him who was seated on the throne. The lamb who was slain, the lion of Judah, is the one who is worthy. And he is by the Father, the Lord God Almighty, given authority and the right to rule over creation. He is given the scroll. And as the book of Revelation unfolds, we're going to see the seven seals opened up as you continue in the book. We're not going to get there today. What we're going to see today is the response to the fact that there is a scroll, there is a God on the throne, and there is one who is able to open it, who is worthy. It is Jesus. And the response to the Father handing the Son the scroll is what we see in verses 8 through 14. And what do we see in verses 8 through 14? Well, lots of singing and loudness. Verse 8 says this, and when he had taken the scroll, the four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the lamb, each holding a harp and golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. Now, we could spend a ton of time, we're doing a Bible study, we'd spend more time looking at who are these four living creatures and the 24 elders and all this stuff, but the highlight, the center point of all of this is the lamb, the one before whom all of these other creatures are falling. 
They're falling before him in prayer and in song. Look at verses 9 and 10. And they sang a new song, saying, Worthy are you to take the scroll and to open its seal. For you were slain, and by your blood you ransomed people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation. From their perspective in heaven, they're seeing Jesus. Jesus, the lamb who was slain. Jesus, whose blood was shed. And they see this cosmic, huge scope of what it is that Jesus has done. By his blood, he is ransoming, he is saving people from every language and tribe and tongue and nation. All kinds of people from all over the world coming to the throne through the blood of the Lamb. It's an amazing picture, and it's one worth singing about, and so that's what they do. Worthy is. So, so their song, the, even the content, the lyrics of their song, are very centered on the saving work of Jesus, on what he has accomplished by his shed blood. And it continues, verse 11, Then I looked, and I heard around the throne and the living creatures and the elders the voice of many angels. We saw, when we looked at, at Christmas, we, we saw it was like the angels were waiting in the heavens, and as soon as the announcement came of the birth of the Son, uh, it, it's like the angels just kind of busted through, and they had to start singing here around the throne. Again, we hear angels singing. It says there are myriads of myriads and thousands of thousands, and they are saying, and it's loud, with a loud voice, worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. Their song, too, is about the Lamb, the Lamb who was slain. And they, too, are recognizing that He alone is worthy. And it really even expands beyond not just those right around the throne. Now it's to myriads and myriads and thousands and thousands of angels. And we see in the last couple of verses that it really is the fact that the truth is he is worthy of the praise of all of creation. Look at verses 13 and 14. And I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and in the sea and all that is in them. That pretty much covers it. Saying, to him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb be blessing and honor and glory and might forever and ever. And the four living creatures said, Amen. And the elders fell down and worshipped. The, the scope of the restoring work of Jesus, which will be revealed by the end of Re Revelation, is really for all of creation. Every creature everywhere must bow down to the one who is Lord, to the one who is on the throne and to the Lamb. Is he worthy is the question, and the answer is a loud resounding, he is. This is an awesome glimpse into what is happening in heaven. It is a beautiful revelation, and I think it's a great way that, for us to consider some really important questions going into 2024 that I think get answered and really asked in many ways by this passage. So here is the application of this 
for our day today, last day of 2023, looking into 2024, three questions. And, and I know, like, students, you haven't been in school for a while, so this is, I'm going to ask you a question, and I'm going to give you the answer. It's super easy, right? I'm going to give you the question and the answer. Question number one is this. Where will our confidence be? As we look into a new year, where will our confidence be? Answer. Here's the answer. Our confidence is in the sovereign God on the throne who has a plan. The scroll reminds us of God's sovereignty, that he has a plan and his plan will surely come to pass. We can be confident of that as we go into 2024. Thinking ahead about 2024 a little bit, it will be a year filled with threats and promises. There were threats in John's day. The Roman emperor was a threat to God's people in that day. And we also have threats in our day. And everybody has a different idea of what constitutes a threat, right? So we're going to hear about all kinds of threats. The threat of terrorism. Other people are concerned about the threat of various dictators. The threat of uh, an economy. The threat of climate change. The threat of a border crisis. The threat of the left. The threat of the right. The threat of Republicans. The threat of Democrats. All kinds of threats. And I can tell us that many would benefit from working us up into a frenzy, being fearful of all of the threats that exist in the world out there. I just, just, I was getting ready this morning for the sermon. I just did a quick search on my phone. I want some news, like from today. So go ahead and put this up on the screen. I just found this. This, was, this came out at 7 o'clock this morning uh, in the Washington Post. Listen, to, look at that picture, right? Doom dominates 2024 messaging as Trump and Biden trade dire warnings. And it even uses the word apocalyptic. Apocalyptic messages reflecting the country's anxious mood could prompt convulsive reaction to the election results, right? So, oh, it's threats everywhere. That's what we read. We're, that's, like, that's just one. That came out this morning at 7. Your whole news feed, whatever, whatever you turn to, is just going to tell you over and over again about threats because on the other side of the threat comes a promise. This is the threat. You should be scared of this, and I'm the only one who can swoop in and help you. So, so threats and promises, that's what we're going to see, especially in an election year, which 2024 will be. All the kind of like, when I am elected, and the hopes of many will rise and fall based on what happens in elections this coming November. But church, church, may our confidence be in the sovereign God on the throne who has a plan. We will be a lot less enamored, a lot less fearful of the threats that we hear about and a lot less enamored with the promises that we hear if we are convinced, if our confidence is in the God who is on the throne who has a plan. He is sovereign. We believe that. Psalm 115.3 says, The Lord is in the heavens and he does whatever he pleases. Praise God for that. Everything that is revealed in Revelation, all that will be revealed as history unfolds, we know this and we are confident in this. He is sovereign. And so while the rest of the world loses its mind in the next year, church, may our confidence be rooted solidly in the one who is on the throne, who is sovereign, and who does have a plan. That's question and answer 
number one. Question and answer number two, what will our message be? What will our message be? Answer, we must proclaim Jesus as Savior to all kinds of people. In 2024, I can also predict this. We will all be bombarded with all kinds of messages. Everybody's got a message. It seems like everybody's got a narrative. Everybody's got an agenda. You see it in sports. You see it in music. You see it in advertising. All of us are constantly bombarded with messages. Some are good and true. Many are twisted and destructive. We will, in 2024, hear many messages. But church, we have the message that literally saves lives. We have a message that must be told and heard. It is the message of Revelation 5.9, that there is a lamb who was slain, and by his blood he is ransoming people for God from every tribe and tongue and language and nation. This is the message that we must proclaim. It's the message that we will proclaim as a church. Lord willing, as we continue into the new year, in February we're going to get back into the gospel according to Luke. And we've said from the beginning that the message of Luke very simply is this. This is the true story of how Jesus saves all kinds of people. So so invite all kinds of people to join us on Sunday morning where I want to commit to you what our message will be through the singing that we do, through, through the messages that are preached, is that Jesus saves all kinds of people. That's the message that the world doesn't hear from many sources but must hear from us. And I'm not the only one preaching it. Praise God. You all, Awana volunteers, this is the message that the kids coming to Awana on Wednesday night need to hear, that Jesus saves all kinds of people. Youth group leaders, Sunday school teachers, life group leaders, all kinds of people in all kinds of church ministry, our message to the people gathered around us must be Jesus is the Lamb who was slain. And by His blood, He is ransoming a people for God from every people and tribe and tongue and language and nation. It's a message that we must and will share not only in all of our church's ministries, but it's a message that must be taken outside of these walls. It's a message, parents, grandparents, that your kids and grandkids need to be hearing from you regularly. It's a message that you who are going back to school or going back to work, it's a message that you need to to sit and have conversations about with people at your workplace and with people at school. It's a message that that we need to proclaim to all people in all nations. The message the world most needs to hear in 2024 is simply this, Jesus saves all kinds of people. And then finally, question number three. Question number three, why must we sing? That's what we saw happening in verses 8 through 14. The answer is we sing loudly because we're convinced that he is worthy. We are convinced that he is worthy. I enjoy watching football games and am amazed at when you watch a football game, the sense you get even in just watching it on a screen, I'm sure it's much more if you're there in person, is that the fans can get really loud, especially 
when the opposing team uh, is facing a third down. The screen in the stadium will tell them to get loud, maybe even displaying how many decibels they're at and encouraging them to increase the number of decibels in that place. The PA announcer will yell something like, it's third down, right? So, so just trying to like get everybody uh, just, just so pumped up that they're just yelling. And there's some guy in every section just going nuts, trying to get his section to be louder than the other sections. And so it's just this loud, loud noise. And they're doing it hoping that it will help their team win. They're doing it. They're, they're, they're singing uh, and, and screaming loudly in order that that one team would get this like oblong brown ball to cross across a, a painted white line on some turf, right? That's what they're all screaming about. And they're hoping that their team will win in the end. And, and I can tell you that your Chiefs or your Packers or my Vikings, none of them are worthy of that kind of noise or money or time. We give a little bit to them anyway. But here's what I can tell you with confidence that the one that we gather to worship on Sunday mornings in song, the one that we worship on Monday and Tuesday and Wednesday in our workplaces, in our schools, in our homes, this one is worthy of all of the time and all of the money and all of the voice that we give to him. My family often laughs at me that on Sunday afternoon into the evening, my voice, I can get lower uh, because my son, they call it my Sunday voice. I preach loudly and sing loudly, and I know, like, I, like we were singing those songs before, and like, I shouldn't sing this loud, one, because I'm not awesome at it, and two, because I still have to preach, and I can't help it. I want to do it anyway. Let's be a people that are so convinced of the worthiness of Jesus that we sing loudly his praise because we know that he is worthy. And, and I think it's cool to kind of think about this, that as we sing, and we've had a lot of people with us on Sunday mornings. We've been up around 200 people a lot of Sundays. That's a lot of voices to be joining together in one song. And there's this great kind of unity that comes in that. But if we recognize that one of the messages of the book of Revelation, one of the things that it does is that it reminds us that our voices are joining myriads and myriads and thousands and thousands of other voices, whether it be the voices of angelic beings or saints gathered around the throne or around the world, we know for certain that we are singing to one who is worthy. I love that one song that says, let every kindred, every tribe on this terrestrial ball to him all majesty ascribe and crown him Lord of all. Or another verse of that, oh, like we never use these words, right? But, oh, that with yonder sacred throng, we at his feet may fall and join the everlasting song and crown him Lord of all. This is where our confidence is. This is what our message is. And this is why we must sing loudly as we walk into a new year. I want to sing now. We're going to do that here in a moment, but let's close in prayer. God, you are on the throne, and we're really grateful for the vision that you gave to John, that you instructed him to write down, that has been preserved for us, and that your Holy Spirit can work through even today. We're thankful that Jesus is the Lion of G Judah and the Lamb who was slain. We're grateful, Jesus, that you are worthy. 
And Holy Spirit, we trust that you are here and you are perfectly God. So, Holy God, God in three persons, we worship you. And as we enter into a new year, we totally trust we're going to hear all kinds of threats and all kinds of promises made by many. But would you help us to put our confidence in you who are on the throne who has a sovereign plan for all of history and eternity. And as we enter into a new year, where we're once again bombarded by all kinds of messages, would you help us to be people who just boldly proclaim the simple message that people most need to hear, that your son Jesus saves all kinds of people. And as we enter into a new year, where our hearts are going to be drawn to all kinds of lesser things, Would you help us to sing loudly in worship because we know that you are worthy? We just pray all of this in the name of your Son, our Savior, the Lamb who was slain and who now stands at your right hand. In his name we pray. Amen.